Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I am Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for yet another week of Breast Cancer Conversations. If you are new to our podcast, a huge welcome to you. And if you're a returning listener, I'm so glad you're here. Today, we will be speaking with Denise and Joni, two amazing women diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, one with triple negative, one with ER positive. Joni and Denise share with us how they had to break the news to their young ones, what tools and resources were available to help talk about cancer and finding age-appropriate materials as well as talking about the effects of chemotherapy and that mommy's going to look different when she loses her hair. We also take a deep dive into the Sunset Foundation. This is a foundation that has been around for a number of years and most recently taken over by Joni. The Sunset Foundation is a 501c3 cancer benefit that supports men, women, and children with financial and emotional support throughout their cancer treatment. They currently support Breezy Point, Rockaway Beach, and Broad Channel communities in the New York area. I want to remind everyone, all of our amazing programs, events, and webinars can be found at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. We provide weekly support groups on Thursday nights, Thursday Night Thrivers. We also have Movement Mondays, our monthly book club, plus so many more ways to engage with us. So be sure to hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. And then you can always continue the conversation with us on social media. Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org all one word, and on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG. As far as the children are concerned, I am very much for the honest approach because whether kids understand everything that's going on is not important, but they are so intuitive to even know that you take a phone call and you disappear into another room to talk to a relative or you whisper, or I I think honesty is the best. Anyone that I've met who's been diagnosed with breast cancer or any cancer, you immediately have a connection. You know, you immediately, you know, know that sometimes when you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing you think of is cancer, you know, and when are you going to have a day when you don't think about cancer? Cancer is something that happened to me, but it's not who I am. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the conversation. cancer in 2018. I found the lump myself. Uh, It was not in a mammogram. Um, I didn't have an ultrasound at my first mammogram. I I received my first mammogram when I was 39. Uh, Bilateral mastectomy uh, with an auxiliary node dissection. And that's when I found out that I was lymph lymph node positive. I went through chemotherapy, uh, ACT, and I am triple negative breast cancer. And then after chemotherapy, I did radiation. I have a five-year-old son. I, well, I have, he's eight now. He was five, year, five years old when I was diagnosed. So that was something that Joni really helped me with. Um, and we met each other through our community. Uh, we live in a small little community in New York. Uh, and my name was nominated to Joni's organization, the uh, Sunset Walk, now the Sunset Foundation. And she sent me a text message and it changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> she sent me a text message saying, let's meet. Um, I'd love my children to meet your son. Uh, this way, uh, Nate can see other children, 
that have had a mom that went through breast cancer and that your hair comes back um, and how resilient they are um, and they would be willing to speak with them. Joni, I would love for you to introduce yourself and how you got into the work that you're currently doing. Well, my story is very similar to Denise's. I It was my first and only mammogram at 39 years old. And uh, same thing that led to double mastectomy, the ACT chemotherapy, a separate lymph node dissection, um, which then has resulted in mild lymphedema in my arms. Uh, so there's the managing of that then thereafter, but it does kind of keep you in check and force you to be on the healthier side. So it was 2011. So I've just coming up on October 14th will be my last day of taking tamoxifen. So that is a little overwhelming uh, because they went from a five-year post to a 10-year post. And then when it is your point to come off of it and you're looking forward to it, it's kind of scary. <laughs> Absolutely. At the time of my diagnosis, my children were two, four, and six years old, just turning two, four, and six. And uh, now they are in essence, 12, 14, and 16. Uh, so I am you know, very happy to be here and be part of their teenage years as it's, I believe, more necessary now to have your parents more than ever. Um, they do test me on a daily basis. <laughs> and I know it's only a moment in time, um, but they are great and very resilient and um, understand the work that I have taken over with the Sunset Walk. The Sunset Walk was in their eighth year. So it was a community-run organization prior to them coming to me. That's when I received a check and a beautiful note in the mail when I was sick. And they asked me uh, to take it over. And they said, we'll give you a time to heal and maybe year 10. And so I did. And now I've been running it for nine years. So, um, and same as what you had said, Laura, in reference to anybody who has been diagnosed, it is that overwhelming feeling of when you get that phone call and there is just this heat wave that takes over your body where you can't seem to control your own emotions and you don't know where to go, where to turn. They tell you, stay off the internet. Of course, that's your only source of information. And the doctors, I feel, are limited into telling you which way is best for you to go. It's a personal decision. They don't give you all the information that's necessary. They try to guide you. So it is up to you to decide your path of treatment. And uh, I did. I had a very difficult time finding somebody to guide me. So when the Sunset Walk approached me and said, will you take it over? Uh, my immediate answer was yes, because in essence, the Sunset Foundation, which it now is, is a cancer networking group. So it supports men, women, children, and any type of cancer. And Within our community, we help not just Breezy Point, it's Rockaway Beach, uh, Broad Channel, three surrounding 
communities within the peninsula. And, you know, I then find somebody else who has had that same type of cancer or somebody who's willing to help you and guide you. And there's nothing better than talking to somebody who has been there and experienced and can understand the terminology, you know, because that's, you know, I, I could say a lymph node dissection to somebody or a sentinel node, and they don't know what it means. And, and you've had to have been there, experienced, know what's about to happen. If you can ease somebody's fear or anxiety going forward, it's worth everything. It really is. So, um, and that's why I do what I do. And Denise has been just a wealth of information and support and uh, willing to also start up the support group side of the Sunset Foundation, which is very necessary. And again, just not something I feel as though I am well suited for. (laughs) And as well, my diagnosis was 10 years ago. And so many medical approaches have changed since then. And the way that they go about treating it, that um, I'm dated. (laughs) So uh, I'm so grateful for what she does and the research that she does. And to be dated in this sense, I think is a huge accomplishment to be what approaching 10 years, no evidence of disease. So congratulations on that huge milestone as well. Denise, can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the Sunset Foundation? Well, I've taken part in three of the Sunset Walks. um, And through that, uh, Joni has let me speak to uh, people that might need help with a friend or um, need help with themselves. uh, And we just want to show support for other women. You know, I feel we need to be our own advocate, like Joni mentioned you know, the doctors really didn't mention a a lot of things, you know, like one of the things that comes to mind is like menopause and that was not even on the table. And now I'm 40 years old and in menopause. Um, and I, it's very different than going naturally into menopause and then going into it overnight. Um, and that's something that wasn't even discussed. And that might not be something that a young, uh, person diagnosed with a, a cancer would even be on their radar. Um, you know, bone health, heart health, brain health, you know, these are all things that are really important. Um, if we're going to be having a, an extended life, um, we need to be aware of it or know what we can do to help it now um, so that it doesn't get worse. Um, so what I what I've been doing is when I got diagnosed, I wanted to find out as much information as possible. So I, I've tried to take as many lectures and webinars, reading books. Um, my brain is not as sharp as it once was due to the chemo and possibly even radiation, even all of the surgeries. Uh, but I keep journals and notebooks and I try to, to absorb as much information that might be helpful to somebody else. Um, you know, I feel like with some doctors there, there's no holistic approach, right? It's just to immediately treat uh, the cancer, right? Get the cancer out, you know, but what caused the cancer, you know, Uh, what can I do to delay the cancer coming back? Um, You know, I think the body as a whole needs to be healed. 
you know, for me personally, I was a stressed out ball of tension and cancer woke me up to, I was not living my life. Uh, you know, I was waking up in the morning and commuting in traffic and at a job that, you know, necessarily wasn't purposeful for me or fulfilling, um, racing back, taking care of a small child, making sure the house was clean, quality time. You know, it was like this rat race, um, tremendous amount of stress. And it cancer really opened up my eyes to things that are maybe a little bit more important, you know, um, like breathing, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, right. Taking a moment and breathing. Um, and so I want to share that with other people because I feel like when you get diagnosed, you're completely overwhelmed. You don't even know where to begin. And I want to help other people, you know, opening up maybe to, you know, meditation or visualization or other ways to reduce stress, you know, sleep, you know, issues, um, just little tips and tricks that kind of worked for me or helped that might help other people. Yeah, I, I need I need to get back in touch with Denise and sit with her because it's exactly where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, and how it's important just... to take the whole approach to the body, right? The the physical, but also the mental and the spiritual and the well being to heal all of those parts. Because when one is out out of balance, you know, you're you're off kilter. And I think cancer literally stopped us all in our tracks to realize what was our life before? Now let's go through this traumatic health experience and what can we do after to ensure that we are taking care of ourselves, whether regardless of what stage you are, to make sure that you are being healthy and supporting um, your body for what it's calling for. Even when Denise had brought up her son, when I was first speaking to her, and of course, as a mom, your first concern, and no matter what, which is why it's also hard to keep up with that self-care. But my initial response was she was worried about him seeing her without any hair and being scared and what the disease was doing to her, her being tired and not being able to keep up with him and that kind of thing. And I said, well, in kids' eyes, what they know is what they can see. And I said, so you know, I'll, I'll come to you. Let's go to the park. It's a fun setting. He can run around with my kids. Let's play. And then he can also see another mommy who is back to looking normal in their view and the hair is back and, and that kind of thing. It's just, you know, whether it sinks in or not, he was only five years old. It's just, you know, but that's, that's what helps and, and not only helped him, but I believe helped Denise too. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, here's another mom and, and to know you're going to be okay because this diagnosis is not what it was because of all of the support and money and what has gone into breast cancer in its campaign over the last 25 years, especially, um, is, is what's helping save us. Absolutely. Right. And, and so it, it's that diagnosis is not what it was. And, um, I'm grateful for that. Grateful to have this opportunity too to help spread the word and let people know that there are so many supports out there and it's not always easy to take that first step and reach out. But once you do, it's a game changer. So Denise, what was going through your head? And, you know, I think a lot of times, especially as moms, 
we get diagnosed with cancer and immediately think about others, right? I think it's that selfless act of of womanhood or motherhood or whatever you want to call it. What was going through your head when you first found out you were diagnosed and you had a five-year-old? The first thing I thought of was, will I see him graduate high school? Um, I immediately went to the negative and, you know, what, what will the last thing I see? Uh, What will he do without a mom? Um, I also, I lost my mother to breast cancer. She was 36 and I was 18 months old. So I grew up without my mom. So that was very uh, hard for me to to handle, um, to say, oh man, is he going to grow up like I did without a mom? Um, And when Joan sent the text, having lost my parent, my father passed away when I was 24, having growing up without parents, I was very independent and I rarely asked for help. Um, but for some reason, when I got that message, I knew I had to bring down the wall and accept help. And I needed to see someone else who had walked the path ahead of me. And that could help both me and my son. Uh, so I immediately t- took the opportunity. And I think it was I'll meet you in, you know, 30 minutes. Like it was that type of thing. And I just raced to the park to meet her uh, and seeing her with her long hair immediately gave me hope because I knew I'd be shaving my head um, and seeing her kids smiling and laughing and, you know, teasing maybe their mom a little bit. And uh, say, you don't, you don't remember it well because my kids were fighting. <laughs> Um, no, I, the first thing I remember is Joan saying, welcome to the club. Anyone that I've met who's been diagnosed with breast cancer or any cancer, you immediately have a connection. You know, you immediately, you know, know that sometimes when you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing you think of is cancer, you know, and when are you going to have a day when you don't think about cancer? I didn't know what my son would think about this. You know, he didn't know anyone in his direct you know, family that had had cancer before. And he was used to seeing mom, you know, dressed up, going to work, coming home, making dinner. And now I would have, you know, no hair, maybe in my pajamas, you know, sleeping in my chair. Um, and would that have an effect on him? But, you know, seeing Joan and her children, I knew he would have maybe an idea that it existed, but maybe not all of the memories. You know, he doesn't really remember me being bald um, or even my hair growing in. It's more pictures that he'll see and he'll say, oh, that's right. Um, I remember him loving to touch my head when the, the fuzz was growing in, he would rub it. But now he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even, you know, he knows that I had cancer, but I don't think he remembers all of those tiny moments that I thought were going to change his life forever. What techniques did you use or do you have any tools for finding age appropriate ways of communicating with your son? I read a book. Um, I found books for each of the stages. Uh, We read every single night. Uh, That would be our bedtime routine uh, for his every night of his life. um, We read and I just laid on the couch with him and we read it. I think it was the one from the breast cancer society. Um, And I, it very tight, slightly, you know, went over it. It didn't go into detail, but he just knew that things were going to be a little different and it wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of anything that he did. 
um, and that, you know, I was going to do everything I could, I guess, to live. Well, similar to what Denise said, the ones that were two and four barely remember that time. Uh, and yes, my hair was very long. And then once it did start to come back, um, I was appreciating having short hair and the ease of it. And But my two oldest are girls and they did say, but mom, we want you to grow your hair to the way it was, you know, and, and I did. So when I cut my hair short before it fell out, uh, I had donated it and now I have donated it twice since then. So um, it's not exactly the way it was before, but no different than also what menopause does where women complain about thinning hair. Um, so I, again, I'm just grateful to look much older, but similar to what I did before. So um, yes, I, as far as the children are concerned, I am very much for the honest approach because whether kids understand everything that's going on is not important, but they are so intuitive to even know that you take a phone call and you disappear into another room to talk to a relative or you whisper, or I, I think honesty is the best. Um, and even at that young age, uh, and again, this is just as all I think parents do, just kind of off the cuff. I just um, tried explaining it to them like a cold and and that when they have a cold and there's yuckies inside of their system and it's important that they blow their nose and get rid of the yuckies. And, and so I had some stuff going on inside, but there was no way for it to come out and that I needed a doctor to help me. And so... And, and that I needed very, very strong medicine that was going to make me look different for a while. Um, and it, it was actually very close to Mother's Day, I want to say. And my hair was short. Uh, and when it started to fall out, um, we just had fun with it. I got to say, I, I bent down to the kids level and I let them pull out chunks of hair. And then we were just throwing it in the sink, which was an oval type bottom. Um, and it, it created like an essence, the look of like a bird's nest. And so when we picked it up to throw it away and all my little short hair strands, and, uh, we live not far from a grassy area where there's lots of little birds and stuff. So we walked down the beach and had the kids place the nest looking hair in the, the bushes so that birds could use it to stay warm and create a nest. It, again, it's just, you know, that's just a, a, a memory and a moment of taking something that could be sad or negative and turning it around to the positive. And, and, you know, and the kids thought that was wonderful. Uh, it, it was just, it was a fun moment. I mean, we have some fun pictures. My husband happens to be bald and has been since the moment I met him and that he even took that chunk of hair and put it on his own hair and was pretending to brush his hair. You know, we just, we, we just have fun with it and, and you have to, it's just, um, to me, if you get sucked into the negative aspect of it, then you're not living, you know, no, every, but they, every day accidents that are out there, you know, you have this chance to, to live each day. You have to live. 
it's just like Denise said, you have to breathe and you have to take it all in. So um, Denise mentioned too, that like her goal was to see her son graduate. So my oldest is now 17, just turned 17, is getting her license, scariest thing in the world as a parent. And, but yes, come this May, June, she will be walking across that stage and graduating from high school. So it's been 10 years. That's one goal met and I'm ecstatic and I can't wait for the next 10. (laughs) When my eyebrows went that they stayed around for a long time, but the eyebrows and the nose hairs, um, and then I was getting like nosebleeds. I didn't even know that was going to be a thing. Um, but I, I wanted to, with my son, with my hair, he used to lint roll, um, because the lint roll (laughs) and he even helped shave my head. Um, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, they were with me when we shaved my head and she allowed him to do one of the, you know, the Passovers. And, and I think he, he loved it and all the different clips. Um, but yes, when that all went and then there was no hair, there was no running away from it. Like I remember going into restaurants and immediately everyone knowing like there's the cancer lady, you know, that she has cancer. Um, and that that was, you know, difficult to navigate, you know, but I tried to do scarves and hats. Mine was in the summer um, and then into the winter. So I, I really didn't have to do a wig. It was it easily was able to be into bandanas, hats and then into like beanies into the winter time. So I, I didn't really do a wig. Joni, did you ever wear a wig? I had an event to go to and my mom had bought me a wig and I put it on. And uh, but my son being two at the time. And I guess then, like I said, with what the kids see. And so now he's used to me walking around bald baseball hats. And and to me, I wear baseball hats often anyway, and just with the ponytail hanging out the back. And so to me, that approach, when I looked in the mirror, I still looked the same. Um, But so this time with being dressed up and I put on the wig and the whole thing, and he's just two years old and I bent down to say goodbye to him. And he pulled at the hair and he actually pulled the wig off and said, mommy, no. And that was it. And I was just like, he now knows me to be bald. And that's how I look normal. And I went from walking around bald to then all of a sudden putting on this hat of hair (laughs) and he didn't like it. And he, so he liked me the way that he was now used to me. So, um, and I was more comfortable without it. And, and that too, that I feel like in the last 10 years, I feel that a lot more women have more confidence that way to just be, this is where I am right now. And this is how I'm going to look. It really is once like we are all post these moments, it's difficult to reassure someone who is just starting that process. This this really is just a moment in time. And when you sit there and you look and you hear, well, in a year from now, your hair will start coming back. You well, you, oh, you don't want to hear that, you know, it, and it's just, you know, and in a year from now, it could be a crew cut. So you're still not going to look like yourself. Um, but when you look back in, in just two years time and you look back and your hair is back and you're fine, it is, uh, and you realize that not everybody remembers your own family doesn't remember. Oh yeah. They have to look back at pictures and say, oh yeah, I look like that. And even for your self-awareness too, um, it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter. There's so many people out there that go through so much worse. And, and like I said, when we're lucky enough to have these treatments and survive, you know, you kind of are touching upon something I would love to dig a little bit deeper in, which is this quote unquote new normal, right? I think a lot of times when we're diagnosed, we, as we're all discussing today, we want to find that hope and someone who's walked in those shoes before and how they're doing now to let us know that this is, yes, just a moment in time. And we get questions all the time. And I don't know if you do as well when you're talking with your um, community, with the with the Sunset Walk Foundation, you know, are people ever asking you, when will my life be normal again? When will I feel myself again? And does that moment actually ever happen? That's a very good question because as Denise had mentioned too, sometimes you wake up in the morning and it's the first thing that you think of. And there's definitely times when you don't ever want to think about cancer again. And in this small community that we live in. And that is something that I did not realize is that when I did take over running the sunset walk, that I would become the face of cancer for our community. And that can be difficult at times. You can catch eye contact with somebody who has been there, but regardless whether I ran the foundation or not, it's still that club (laughs) and we all know who's been in that club and you share that moment of, you know, how you doing (laughs) kind of thing. And, um, but we live in a very uh, giving area that many volunteers in many different aspects of life, even taking care of our own community. It's um, uh, a cooperative with the board of directors and these people, everybody volunteers their time. So no matter which part of a volunteer organization you are involved in down here, you are going to be bombarded by people who tell you how things should be run or make their suggestions. So I'm not the only one. And again, taking on this role, I am so grateful for this opportunity because it's just about making sure anybody who is diagnosed with which any, any kind of cancer does not feel alone. And, and that to me is the most important role and I wouldn't give it up for anything. You, what has your experience been post-diagnosis and you know, when you reflect on how your life is now, would you describe it as quote unquote normal or has it changed? It definitely has changed. Um, I don't know if being in my forties, uh, or cancer is causing like, I guess an identity crisis. Um, you know, I, I feel like it gave me this whole new chapter to maybe change what I was doing was not necessarily good. And maybe now I, I can do, uh, more and help. Um, I think it really helped, I guess, break some fears, but then at the same time brought new fears. Um, and I don't necessarily know if normal is good. Um, you know, even with COVID, right. Everyone wants everything to go back to normal, but was normal, right. You know, was it, is it, that's because it's safe, right. Is normal more safe? Is that more comfortable? You know, um, cancer for me has let me be more vulnerable. Um, 
with my emotions, with my spirituality. Um, I don't know the, the word normal, <laughs> you know, I guess for, for so long, you want to be normal, right? You want to fit in, you want to be part of the community, part of the popular crowd, you know, you always want to fit in, but, uh, you know, I don't have to fit in and I'm part of this community, right? Uh, you know, I'm immediately part of the breast cancer community, whether me being normal <laughs> or not. Um, I, I fit in because I have similarities with a bunch of other women who have different stages in their lives, um, children, no children, right? Infertility, um, losing the ability to have children. Um, but immediately there's a connection and I don't, I'm, I don't feel judged. So even if my normal is different now, I feel that the cancer community is always more su supportive than others because I think cancer is a reality to people about your mortality. Uh, you know, I think it makes some people afraid. And that's why I think you lose a lot of friends and you find out who your real friends are uh, because some people can't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. You know, cancer's taboo. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, even looking sick might make people uncomfortable coming to see you, you know, makes people uncomfortable and that's, that's okay. And you, you, you can't, you know, fault them. That's them. That's not you. You didn't do anything wrong. And in a way, maybe they aren't doing anything wrong. They're only doing what they have to do to protect themselves. When we're confronted with a life-threatening disease, regardless of what age you are, it's, it really puts things into perspective. It's scary. It happens in a moment and you're forced to confront it, period. Not that I would think that most of the people that are listening to the podcast are people who have been affected by breast cancer, but for any of the lay people out there that may be listening to this as well, it, it is for the people that don't know what to say and what to do. Cancer is something that happened to me that could happen to anybody, but it's not who I am. So there's a part of you that wants to go out in public in your community and see your friends and, and not have everybody talk about cancer. You don't want to talk about cancer. You want to go out. You want to be the same person that you were prior to cancer. Uh, and, and the same when you're a young mother with young children you become very popular walking around bolts. <laughs> and that look of sadness when people look at you and those and just, oh, you know, and they feel for you. And that's very sweet. But for my kids' sake, for my sake, I'm not walking around as cancer. I'm walking around as mom right? and as a person. Just treat me like every other person. We're humans first. We're people first. We're, we're moms, we're daughters, we're sisters, siblings. We identify with our profession. You know, we, we're teachers, we're CEOs, we're amazing people. We can, you know, we did a podcast not too long ago on why is the question, how are you so weighted? And I think that's what we're talking about right now, because it's like, are you asking me how I am today? Are you asking me how my home life is? Or are you really asking for a health update? So just cut the BS. And what do you want to know? So Joan, you say something good to see you, right? Is that what you taught? Someone taught me instead of saying, how are you doing to say good to see you? Um, because it's, it's a right. You say, how are you doing? And then the other person will say, how are you doing? Um, so it's, Oh, good to see you. 
that kind of ends it, you know, but if you want to say, how are you doing? How are you doing? Right. right. That, that's a loaded question. You really want me to tell you <laughs> how much time do you have? Right? <laughs> Good to see you. Oh, that's such a wonderful one. I'm going to yeah. add that to my toolkit for sure. How can our listeners find out more about the Sunset Foundation and the walk? The Sunset Foundation is on Facebook. Um, it is a, a, a page on Facebook. And you guys offer financial assistance and usually have a nice loving and welcoming card that you send to people. And the money is flat across the board and could be utilized in however the recipient chooses. So whether that's paying for parking fees when you're going to the hospital, the parking garage, groceries, bills, medical insurance, however the patient feels like it could best be utilized to support them. Sharon, can you tell me what the patient receives? So it is a a letter, a personal letter and a check that goes to the recipients. There have been various additives over the years. We have a lovely group of ladies that are associated with three different churches in the area that knit, uh, hand knit Afghans and that have been blessed by the church. So if I have somebody who that seems appropriate for, I hand deliver that as well. Um, sometimes we add in some of our sunset walk paraphernalia that goes with, uh, we have t-shirts and hats and, um, little phone wallets that you can put on your cell phone. And, um, it, it's just, uh, again, those little reminders that it's there. Beautiful. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation, learning more about not only your own personal diagnosis, the paths you guys are both living with stage three, triple negative, and also ER positive. Congratulations on nearing your 10 years. I feel like that is something that when they say you got to take this pill for 10 years, I literally almost fell off the examining table. I was like, what? I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, let alone 10 years from now. And sometimes it feels like that day is never going to come. So I will be thinking of you on October 14th. And I hope this is one of many conversations. I know we touched upon, you know, being moms and our children, but I think there's so much more we could talk about. You know, you you brushed upon the topics of the vocabulary that we use and how important it is where we don't have to keep explaining ourselves and what ACT stands for or what lymphedema is. You're you're part of this community who um, already speaks your language and that offers comfort. And it's just been such a pleasure to be able to highlight the amazing work and impact you guys are having on your community. So thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for bringing us this opportunity and, and sharing it with everybody else as well. It's important. Thank you. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. If you want to hang out again, please check out survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events where you can RSVP to our Thursday Night Thrivers weekly meetup, our Movement Monday classes, workshops, seminars, and so much more. We can also continue the dialogue online via social media. Our Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. Until next time, keep on thriving.